Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. My name is Bob, your host. I'm hanging out talking Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris, as always. Chris, what's going on, my man? Not much, man. It was good seeing you this weekend. Got to see you yeah, rock out a little bit. If you guys haven't checked out Bob's band, Paper Street Music Company, you should. Pretty sweet stuff, man. That was that was a rocking concert on Friday. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. Uh, it was good uh, seeing you guys, seeing my family, seeing my friends, and playing for you guys. Uh, that was really fun, uh, doing a couple of shows up in Cleveland. Um, yeah, it, it, that was really fun, a really fun weekend. Um, but we're back at it, talking Cleveland sports, and we have, uh, you know, I'd say this is a good smorgasbord of Cleveland sports topics. Uh, nothing of prescient uh need but uh, a lot of different things that that we're going to delve into particularly uh nfl season is getting closer and the browns are opening training camp this friday june 29th and today fortunately uh before we started recording this podcast the browns got news that they're getting a special attendee to to their training camp in josh gordon who is conditionally reinstated uh, pending a, a four-game suspension in season, but uh, the conditional reinstatement allows him to attend all uh, off-season activities, so he is eligible to report to training camp on Friday. Uh, Chris, I, I have to say it, it's shocking to think that Josh Gordon might be uh, playing football for the Browns again in 2016. I didn't really see this coming. First minor correction, Bob. I, I know we'd like to turn back time to June, but summer's flying by it's going to be july 29th this friday man it's kind of crazy oh yeah <laughs> but uh <laughs> that is pretty crazy yeah. anyway you're right you know first off when this story started breaking that josh gordon had met with the commissioner they said that they wouldn't even consider it until like august 1st so the fact that he's back this quickly is truly a stunner to me because i mean this guy is on like his fifth strike Okay, <laughs> forget second chances yeah. and third chances. This is like his fifth chance. Okay, so this is the final, last, really last time. I mean, it's like we're starting to get into Friday the 13th sequel mode here with Josh <laughs> Gordon. But this is very good news for Browns fans because it's hard to believe that this was in 2013, but the guy in 14 games, and he still served a two-game suspension for this same stuff, substance abuse stuff that has been plaguing him his entire careers. But in 14 games, he led the NFL in receiving. And by the way, he had three mediocre quarterbacks throwing him the ball the whole time. So the fact that he did that, three years ago shows you what kind of a talent the Browns are about to get back in a dire position of need. I mean, we're about to do this training camp breakdown. Wide receiver, to me, is arguably the most concerning position on the roster. And if Josh Gordon can just keep his head on straight and focus on football, uh, that's a huge boost to a receiving core that sorely needs it. Yeah, heading into, you know, heading out of the 2015 NFL season wide receiver was absolutely a huge question mark. They were old, they were small, they're relatively unproductive. You know, Gary Barnage was the best receiver and he's a 30 year old tight end that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and the Browns and Hugh Jackson addressed that need time and time again. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about the depth chart in a little bit, but four rookies were, were drafted 
to play wide receiver for the Browns, including their first their first pick used. So they went out and got it, clearly not anticipating Josh Gordon to be available for 12 games this season. I, I think nobody really expected it. I think it was back in, was it April, where, where he missed a, a test or it was a diluted sample. And so, you know, that news broke, and I think you and I briefly mentioned it, and we were both just like, yep, I mean, don't expect him back anytime soon. So I I think it's truly shocking, and it could provide a huge boost to a unit that, yes, has some serious question marks just because there are so many rookies, but a unit that could very quickly, given all the talent and draft picks that they invested in it over the offseason, plus Josh Gordon coming back, plus Hugh Jackson being a wide receivers coach uh, could very quickly be an area of strength. All that being said, how can you re- expect anything from Josh Gordon at this point? Yeah, I, because the thing is he did come back in 2014 and quite frankly, his heart wasn't in it. Uh, you know, you, you could just tell that it just wasn't there. Uh, so it is concerning. It's, it's, it's definitely concerning. You, you, you have to have Josh Gordon in the right mindset and let's be real, Bob, we don't even know if he's going to be around for 12 games yet because he still has to get through the next couple months without any incident. And and right now, with all the things that he has just done to stand in his own way, I mean, are you confident that he's even going to make it to that fifth game of the year against New England, who, by the way, is also going to get their quarterback back that week? So it's the free Brady and Gordon uh, extravaganza yeah. five games into the NFL. So... Yeah. Are you even confident he can make it till that first weekend in October without another test? Because honestly, I'm not 100% confident that that can even happen. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to have your doubts. Um, I want to give the guy a little bit credit and, and think that with this good news, with the fact that he's going to collect some game checks, he can maintain that clean wrap at least until October. But in terms of, you know, a 12-game season for him uh expecting him to be clean in terms of offenses uh for for a whole calendar year i mean that's a lot to ask for for a guy that has found way after way to get suspended it's not just like you know the same exact instance it's uh, it's all you know dui marijuana related but he finds creative ways to include these suspensions you know getting in the drug program and then uh, failing a blood alcohol test or something like that. So, yeah, I, I I don't really expect a whole lot. But like we talked about in the beginning, 2013 led the league in receiving with three subpar quarterbacks throwing him the ball. With this Browns team direly needing elite talent, it, it's hard not to get caught, you know, dreaming about what could be if Josh Gordon stayed clean. And let's just be realistic, you know, Robert Griffin III, also from Baylor, you know, there is a lot to to hope for, but I think that anything you get out of Josh Gordon, you have to look at it as a bonus at this point. The guy has not played in an entire year. The guy will have had four extra games sitting out. So there's going to be some rust. I mean, there's, there's no question there. I just think that anything you get from Josh Gordon to me is a bonus, and I would like to focus more on some of these young guys that they've brought in to address the wide receiver problem because I think in order for this team to have not only success this year but more in the long term, 
uh, some of these guys that they've drafted are going to have to step up and take a great opportunity in front of them to see the field. Yeah, definitely. So let, let, let's dive into this wide receiver depth chart. Uh, you know, bringing uh, at least 11 guys into camp. Uh, four of those guys were drafted uh, in, in 2016. Uh, veterans include guys like Taylor Gabriel, Andrew Hawkins, and Marlon Moore. You know, I think you can probably expect six wide receivers uh by the time the browns uh end preseason play uh who who is a sure in for you chris and then who who do you want to make it who do you think will make it and who do you think is gonna get on the chopping block well right off the bat Corey coleman is as sure of a sure thing to make it you don't spend the number 15 overall pick on a guy just to cut him after the preseason so Corey coleman is definitely going to make this roster the question is whether or not he's going to step up and be a starter on this roster and when you're drafted with a top 15 pick those are the expectation especially on a team like Cleveland that really has no number one wide receiver for week one Josh Gordon won't be back and none of the other guys who are coming back have shown that they can be a true number one wide receiver so Corey Coleman has an opportunity as the number 15 pick to come in here and take a starting job from someone those are the expectations when you're drafted that high to a team like Cleveland fair or unfair but the guy you look at his highlight tape in Baylor everyone thinks you know shifty like Antonio Brown he's a little undersized like Antonio Brown he has said that Antonio Brown is a guy he emulates which is great because I want my guys emulating Antonio Brown I know he's a stealer but he's arguably the best wide receiver in the league if he could be you know 75 percent of what Antonio Brown is I'd take that in a heartbeat because that would be number one on the Browns so I'm looking at Corey Coleman as the guy who's got to step up and justify that number 15 pick and and not just justify it but but please Play to number 15 potential. That's what I want. I want a guy drafted in the first round to come in here and play like a blue chip prospect should. So, yeah, I'm looking at Corey Coleman as the guy who I want to be one of those two starting wideouts heading out of the gate in week one. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. I mean, of the 11 that that are coming into camp, I think Coleman is the only one that will absolutely guaranteed uh, be on this roster. I think there are a couple other guys that – our heavy favorites to to make the cut, but Corey Coleman will be there. And it's not just a uh, number 15 overall. It's first wide receiver taken on the board was Corey Coleman uh, on a group of wide receivers where there wasn't really a definitive number one. It's not like you had Calvin Johnson or AJ green at, at the top of these drafts. Um, there was some debate as to who would go first. The Browns pulled the trigger on Coleman made him that first wide receiver taken there's definite pressure throw in the the added pressure that comes with being a cleveland brown first round draft pick especially in when the browns had multiple chances to take one of those quarterbacks before coleman and traded down and and took him so yeah the pressure is on good news for him is that you know he has a group uh coaching him in, in hugh jackson and pep hamilton that i think could do really good things with him so that will definitely be exciting um what is more interesting to me are the three guys that got drafted after him and we said Corey Coleman's a little bit smaller shiftier is a speed guy uh Ricardo Lewis Richard Higgins and Jordan Payton are a completely different body type and are are those big wide receivers especially Ricardo Lewis um but all over six feet uh looked at much more like possession guys 
Um, you could see some of them fitting in uh, in special teams, and I think that it's kind of marking the end of Marlon Moore's role in the wide receiver core. Um, Chris, do you think all three of those rookies that were taken in the fourth and fifth round are, are going to make this roster? I think that would be an unrealistic expectation because you look at guys like Andrew Hawkins and Taylor Gabriel and Josh Gordon, I think those three guys will probably make the team. And Terrell Pryor is an intriguing kind of X factor uh, who's, you know, he hasn't played wide receiver very long. In fact, I think he only has like one or two NFL games under his belt. But he's got the body type of a wide receiver that the Browns might want to hold him on, hold on to him just to see if he can reach that kind of potential. So if you're looking at Coleman, I've just named four other guys. That's five right there. If you're only keeping six, that leaves really one more spot for those other three rookies. So I think it would be an unrealistic expectation to see all three of them make it. I think maybe at the most two out of three, um, but more realistically, probably one. Because I I have a hard time seeing them cutting all these veterans. Maybe Taylor Gabriel, uh, Andrew Hawkins used to play for um, Hugh Jackson in Cincinnati, so I I don't necessarily think that that would be a guy who gets cut. Terrell Pryor could get cut too. So I, I think at most two of those three guys will make it, but more realistically, probably only one. Yeah, it, it really is going to be interesting to see what the Browns do with this core because, yeah, I think Andrew Hawkins' relationship with Hugh Jackson playing with him and really being the most productive guy from last year and being a veteran on a group that is going to bring in uh, four, four rookies in the camp and, and younger guys like Pryor and Gordon. Hawkins is, is probably a sure thing barring any kind of injury. Um, I do think Taylor Gabriel's probably on the block, and I think – uh, one of those rookies could easily take his spot. Um, are you re- going to bring in seven wide receivers to open the season? That's a lot. I think the those rookies definitely need to prove themselves uh, in terms of playing on special teams. And then even Terrell Pryor, I mean, he was he got picked up by Cincinnati last year. So he, he does have some, or maybe that was two years ago, but he he has worked with Hugh Jackson before. So I, I you know, Hugh Jackson should have an opinion about Terrell Pryor even right now whether he's worth worth a shot or worth or, or not but Josh Gordon certainly you know is complicating things because like we've talked about he's so super talented um he, he's definitely probably going to get a roster spot consideration and you know those three rookies one of them and like you said probably two of them are going to get cut it's going to be interesting yeah, ideally, I'd like to see two of them step up to the point where they justify a roster spot so you keep three out of these four rookies because I do think that the Browns need some new blood in here overall. I'm not trying to knock all of these guys, but I guess I would be a little disappointed if everyone comes back and it's just like Corey Coleman. You know what I mean? I would like to see yeah. a couple of these guys stick just so that way we get some new blood in here. But but again, I don't think Andrew Hawkins is going to get cut. We're agreeing on that. I think they need a solid veteran like him in the locker room, and his relationship with Hugh Jackson is probably going to play a factor into that. And not to say that that's the only reason, because he is a talented wide receiver. Not a number one, but certainly the guy who can, can do a number of different things from the slot. Um, Taylor Gabriel, I agree with you. He's not a sure thing, but... Being that veteran, I think veterans do have that kind of edge on these rookies, and and there is the real pressure to win. So I hope three out of these four rookies stick. Well, but it would be, I mean, it would be tough for all for that to happen. There, 
obviously that you're right there's pressure to win for every team but when you invest 14 draft picks uh on one year and have stocked up for i think are, are anticipating almost 14 for next year you do have some time and i think that this is the time to clean house with these veterans that have been on such you know mediocre teams uh so i do think you know taylor gabriel at age 25 can you really consider a veteran i guess he is relative to those rookies but i do think that he is likely out to make way for at least two of those rookies yeah i i it's hard to say that before the preseason, but I agree. I would say that of the of the guys on this list, Gabriel and Pryor are probably the most in danger of being cut of the veterans returning. Now, obviously, all four rookies have to prove themselves because if the other three rookies just don't show you anything, then they're not going to stick. So I definitely want to see something from Coleman. I want Coleman to be a starter, and I, ideally I see something from two out of the other three rookies that – makes it a little easier to cut some of these guys because, look, the Browns have been awful for the last eight years. I think it's time to get some new blood in here, and I want to see something out of this new blood. I don't want to just keep a rookie to keep a rookie. I want to see something from them that makes it easier. Yeah, definitely. Um, All right, well, we know we have plenty of options to catch the ball, but probably the, the biggest question mark, and really the only question mark that the Browns have ever had is who's going to be throwing the ball, who is their quarterback. And we're, we're entering camp with four guys, Austin Davis, Cody Kessler, who was drafted in the third round this year, Robert Griffin III, uh, free agent from, from Washington, uh, former rookie of the year with, with Washington, as most probably remember. And then the 37-year-old Josh McCowan. Um, not the most inspiring list of names for, for me but there are some interesting narratives and plots going on here Chris who looks like the favorite to you and what are you expecting to see in camp it's a tale as old as time in Browns camp man who's gonna be the Cleveland Browns quarterback 2016 edition and you're right I mean the names are uninspiring let's start with the biggest of them all the biggest name of them all that would be Robert Griffin the third um Robert Griffin has a lot to play for this year. Um, it's not just you know showing that he can play in the NFL, not just showing that he can be a starter in the NFL, but showing that all the stuff that happened in Washington wasn't entirely his fault. Now, let's just look at this from a logical standpoint. The guy had a phenomenal rookie season. Since then, he has suffered multiple injuries. He is not the mobile guy he once was. And he has struggled to adjust from an offensive system that was predicated on his speed to a more traditional pro-style accuracy kind of quarterback. He needs to show that he can adapt. But more importantly to me, he needs to show that when, and, and, I, and I say when a little bit pessimistically here, but he's probably, whoever wins this job is probably not going to play all 16 games. You know, if you're going to bet that on the Browns team, you always take the under if you're saying whether or not the Browns quarterbacks will start 15 and a half games. Because the fact of the matter is, it, it rarely happens. And I cannot look at Robert Griffin and confidently say he's going to stay healthy for a full NFL season. So I, I want to, he's got a lot to play for from the standpoint of not only does he have to show that he can play, but he also has to show that, that he can, you know, accept the fact that he might get benched 
And I'm not, I don't, I don't want to assume what happened in Washington. A lot of stuff happened in Washington. Some of it was brought on him. Some of it, the coaches didn't give him a fair chance, whatever. Uh, but he's just got to show that, you know, he can continue to stick in this league as a backup quarterback if things don't work out as a starter. So I think out of the gate, I want to see Robert Griffin grab this starting quarterback's job by the reins and because I think he is the most talented of the bunch even though Cody Kessler is a rookie without a rap sheet on him I'm intrigued by Cody Kessler but if you're looking at if you're asking me which quarterback has the best chance or the most upside I'm still sticking with Robert Griffin III and I hope that he can reclaim some of what he was but also evolve to the point where he can run the kind of pro style offense needed uh, at, at this stage in, of, of his health because I just don't think he can be the player he was before his injuries. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think ideally, you know, you have... Um, the, the ideal situation is that Robert Griffin III becomes a, a serviceable starter, is able to transition from the mobile game that, that uh, Mike Shanahan was running in, in his rookie year to you know, a pocket passer and, and Hugh Jackson and Pep Hamilton certainly can get that out of him. Uh, they, they have worked with mobile guys in Andy Dalton and Andrew Luck, but have kept them in the pocket and have developed that. Now, Andrew Luck, obviously, you know, you and I can coach him and he'd be an amazing quarterback, but, uh, you know, they have a track record and, and you have to, at least until we see them play some games, you have to kind of trust that they, they know what they're talking about. And by all regards, you know, they are, all in on, on Robert Griffin. All that being said, we know we can throw a body out there in Josh McCowan and know that he can at least run the offense and try to develop those young wide receivers and, and get them some game time and, and put the ball in their hands. You know, he looked serviceable at times. He had a one and seven record when starting. So obviously it wasn't all good and, you know, a 53 Q, QB rating from last year. But it's going to be some combination of Griffin and McCowan throughout the year. Cody Kessler looks like your, uh, you know, third string quarterback that will be the starting quarterback uh, uh, week 17 against the Steelers. That always <laughs> happens. But until we get to that point, it's Griffin and McCowan. I think everybody in the organization and probably most of the fans want Griffin to earn that starting spot because, you know, his ceiling is infinitely higher than what McCowan can offer at this point. You know, 25 years old versus a 37 year old quarterback that has never been a successful starter so everyone is pulling for griffin he all he has to do is reach out and take it and put in the work to to not rely on his legs so much because i understand you know you grow up such a gifted athlete and you're able to outrun people it's hard to stop doing that but he can't do that because we've seen him just get demolished in the nfl and suffer through injury after injury um, everyone's pulling for him, and, and it's really just up to him if, if he can seize the opportunity. Well, yeah, I think the worst thing for the Browns would be if Josh McCown, quote-unquote, wins this job out of training camp and preseason. And it's no knock on Josh McCown, but you said it but I mean, we know what Josh McCown is. Josh McCown is a good guy to have on your roster if he needs to come in in a serviceable backup situation. That's what he is. That's his ceiling. He's been around forever. It's not going to be an epiphany this year, okay? It's not happening. I want either Griffin or Cody Kessler to be my starter out of the gate. And here's why I say Cody Kessler. 
I don't know what I got in Cody Kessler yet. If Cody Kessler lights it up in preseason and is awesome and he takes this job, so be it because I don't know what his ceiling is at all. Robert Griffin, if he lights it up, he has shown that his ceiling can be really, really high. Those are the two guys I'm looking at the most. I mean, because these are the guys that have that the the, the ceiling necessary to be a starting quarterback. And the only reason I say that for Cody Kessler is because I don't know what his ceiling is. He hasn't played an NFL game yet. So those are the guys I'm looking at as the the guys I want to see starting week one. Because I want if they are start if one of those two is starting week one, it means that they showed enough to earn the job. Because you can say what you want about Josh McCown. His floor is really high too. So these guys are gonna have to work to beat him for this job. I mean Josh McCown isn't just gonna sit back and relax and not try to play. I think he's a good teammate. He's shown he can be a good teammate, and he's comfortable in a backup, and I don't think he's going to be destructive to the locker room by any means. But if you think Josh McCown is just going to sit there and say, oh, no, I'm not going to try to win this job, you're crazy. So I like that the fact that those two are going to have to work for it. If one of those two is starting week one, it means that they've earned it, at least with what you got on the roster, and they've shown enough to give you some hope. But if Josh McCown wins this job, I, I think that that is a really bad sign because you've got your two high ceiling guys just not showing enough, and that that's going to get me really worried. Yeah, for for sure. Uh, nobody wants to see Josh McCown out there playing. At, at least you know, give us give us some some kind of hope to going into the season for sure. Um, definitely a disappointment if uh, he is a starting quarterback. I'm pulling for Griffin, um, and I hope that, like you said in the beginning. A lot of those rumors were, were untrue uh, in, in regards to his relationship with the Redskins organization and, and some of the players there. So only time will tell. I, I do think, like I said, like he has a, a great support staff in place with the Browns. Uh, and, you know, they brought him in him in specifically and they had an option to, to draft a number of guys to, to be the quarterback before Cody Kessler, a lot of guys that were a lot more valued and seemed to be more talented than Kessler, but they stuck with Griffin and then they went out and got Kessler as well. So these are two guys that they picked above a lot bigger, more talented names. So hopefully they, they are onto something, but Uh, by the way, Austin Davis, do you think he's on the roster? I, I, I'm not going to say no, because there's a chance he could beat out Cody Kessler. If Kessler just doesn't play well, but Given what's invested in McCown and Griffin and the fact that they drafted Kessler in the third round, I don't see them cutting a third-round pick. I, I just don't see how they go with four quarterbacks. I don't think Austin Davis is going to make the team. Yeah, I if if everything goes to plan, he will be the roster cut. Um, obviously, all three of the guys ahead of him have big question marks, Kessler being a rookie, McCown being so old, and, and Griffin being injury-prone. I mean, anything can happen, but if things go marginally to plan uh he will be the guy on man looking out yeah i think so too but hey it is what it is yeah for sure um okay well we talked a lot on the offensive side let's flip to the other side of the ball um you know big things were expected from this cleveland browns defense uh you had a secondary that was coming off a a really great year in in 2014 um you know a pro bowler in, in joe hayden you had, uh, you know, the, the addition of Tremont Williams. You had uh, Dante Whitner and Tashawn Gibson. 
<laughs> being being the safeties and Tashawn Gibson coming off of a Pro Bowl year as well. That that got derailed really quickly with Tashawn Gibson having a down year and Joe Hayden being injured. Uh, the front seven, you know, the investment of Danny Shelton. We thought we were going to shore up the run game. Didn't work out so well. Uh, a, a huge mess. They had trouble, you know, getting the quarterback. Trouble stopping the run. Just just a very bad year for the Browns defense overall. Chris, you know, let's let's key in on that front seven because there is a lot of turnover going on right now. What is giving you any semblance of hope that that the Browns can improve from last year? Well, where to begin? Um, well, I'm looking at this depth chart here. I see a lot of rookies, which that gives me hope because they're they're clearly identified the front seven as a problem and poured a lot of resources into it. You know, for years, the two things that have plagued the Browns is a lack of a run defense and a quarterback. And since they couldn't get the quarterback this year or they chose not to get the quarterback this year, I think that's more accurate. They poured a ton of resources into the front seven drafting you know, Carl Nassib, a number of other guys. Uh, they got a good value in Scooby Wright, late linebacker from Arizona. A lot of people said he could have won the Heisman. So, man, if he can regain his form from that injury that set him back, he certainly could be someone that I watch as uh, possibly being a steal of the draft. Um, you know, He certainly has the talent. But let's start with some of the names that are on uh, high alert. Uh, Barcavius Mingo being one of them. He was a top 10 pick a few years back, 2013. And let's uh, that, just say he's underwhelmed. I mean, certainly has not played up to that potential. He has the athleticism. Uh, he's been struggling to kind of find a position. Maybe the light will go on now that they haven't picked up his option for next year. This is a show me here for him. If he can play to the ability that they drafted him for, that would help out big time. I'm also looking at Danny Shelton. He's not on high alert just yet because he's only a sophomore. I mean, he certainly struggled last year, don't get me wrong. But the fact of the matter is, rookies sometimes struggle in their rookie year. In fact, most of the time rookies struggle in their rookie year, especially when you're trying to play a position like defensive line where in college you can use your physicality to overpower people. In the NFL, everyone's a beast. So it does take somewhat of an adjustment. I'm hoping that he can learn from last year and take a step forward because if he does, he really can't, he has the ability to be a monster in the middle. So, again, I'm not going to write anyone off after one year, but certainly want to see improvement in year two. Xavier Cooper kind of in the same boat, drafted in 2015 like Danny Shelton. Uh, you know, didn't have a... Didn't jump off the page his rookie year. Did some things right, some th- more things wrong. Again, you just want to see that next step. It's so easy to overreact after one year because not everyone's an Odell Beckham Jr. or Aaron Donald, okay? Most of these guys need time. And so you got to give the sophomore some time and hopefully you want to see them take a step forward. So if if I'm looking at some things, I, I would like to see one or two rookies make it on this front seven, as in start on this front seven, especially with Desmond Bryant um, injured for the year. Someone is going to need to step up, so hopefully one of these draft picks can step up and take that job. And inside linebacker, to me, has always been a, a position that has just really not been strong for the Browns. So maybe Scooby Wright, uh, I know he's a seventh-round pick, but but he had so much talent in college. I'd be intrigued to see him if he could step up and maybe take a job as well. Yeah, I 
I really like that Scooby Wright pick, and, and I do hope that he kind of defies the odds of being a seventh-round draft pick and, and can be a starter. That would be fantastic. And by all accounts, you know, he's he's doing well, and, and they expect good things from him. You know, I do like that they brought in Demario Davis to, to fill in the role uh, of the inside linebacker and be the leader of that unit. Um, that That is a nice addition. And, and Christian Kirksey is, is serviceable. Um, for me, though with Ray Horton's defense, it, it starts with the pass rush and, and Barkevius Mingo, you mentioned, um, you know, we are still waiting for him to play like he needs to prove himself. And he, his rookie year, he had five sacks under Ray Horton. He's played 31 games since that season and has had two sacks total. So you got to show me something more than that in this final year, uh, of him possibly being, being a Cleveland Brown by all accounts, he's added weight up to 30 pounds is what I've read. So maybe that will help, but Ray Horton certainly seemed to be able to get the most out of Mingo who only started three games that year. Um, look at the other side of the pass rush and you got a guy in Paul Kruger, uh, has had up and down seasons with the Browns. Didn't have a good year under Horton. Uh, you have to expect more from him considering the contract that he signed and like you said, uh, you want those rookies to step up. Manuel Ogba was the second player that they took in the NFL draft to be a rushing specialist to you know, po- probably replace Barkevius Mingo when he disappoints again this year. So hopefully he can step up. And then looking along that, that, front, or that, that defensive front uh, on the line, yeah, D- Danny Shelton was expected to shore up the run. It didn't work out because the Browns finished, I think, 30th in terms of uh, rushing yards per game. But it, it really is – it takes a team effort to stop the run game. And I think it's really unfair to put it all on a rookie, that a rookie nose tackle. Hopefully he can make that step up. Him and Jamie Metter could be a very good combination uh, as the nose tackles. But as they need talent around them as well. And I think that uh, – the big addition will be Carl Nassib, who, you know, at times during his college year was, was looked upon as one of the best defensive ends in the game and could have been a potential top 10 draft pick, uh, had, had a bit of a down year in his senior year. If he can step up and prove himself, that would be an amazing boon for the Browns considering Desmond Bryant is out, and, and it would certainly help Danny Shelton's uh, production and performance and Xavier Cooper, who's also slated to start as well. And that was an excellent point you made. You can't hang it all on Danny Shelton, the run struggles. I mean, first off, he's a rookie. I don't care when he was drafted, he was a rookie. And second off, you know, defensive, uh, run defense is a, uh, a team effort. No doubt him and Cooper both need to improve. But they were rookies, and let's just be realistic, this defense has not been inspiring for some time. I am encouraged that I count seven rookies brought in here either through the draft or through a rookie free agency um, to come and try to address this problem. I want to see four of them stick in some way, shape, or form, and I want to see two of them playing significant roles, if not starting, out of the gate. One spot is open because Desmond Bryan is out for the year, um, and then I think one other guy should just be able to step up and take a spot because, quite frankly, the unit is uninspiring they have an opportunity to come in here and improve it. And so be it uh, Emmanuel Ogba, Carl Nassib, Scooby Wright, or someone we haven't mentioned yet, I want to see some new blood in here. I'm not trying to say get rid of all the veterans. 
But I definitely want to see some of these young guys stick and show that they can be long-term solutions to something that has plagued this team since its return in 1999. Yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody uh, in the starting front seven has a guaranteed job. I think you can assume Danny Shelton's going to get the majority of the snaps, and so is Paul Kruger, just because of the value that they have been assessed uh, in the organization. But everyone else, you know, their jobs are, are completely fluid. And, you know, Ray Horton... It's not like he's the only one that does it, but he loves to sub and get everyone involved. So if you have talent, especially these young guys that want to prove themselves, Horton will find a way to put them on the field and put them in a position to succeed. The other guy I think is pretty solid to start. I, I like that you brought up the Demario Davis free agency signing. I thought that was a solid get from New York. I think he'll probably start in the middle just with his veteran experience. You need someone who is comfortable with calling out the defense in the middle of that front seven. So, so I, I think he's also good, a pretty safe bet to make it out of training camp with a starting job. But, but other than him and Kruger, I, I think all bets are off. And you're right, Shelton's probably also going to start too, um, just out of necessity. Um, and, and because you got to give him snap, you got to you got to give him responsibility and have him improve. You can't improve on the bench. So, but but like you said too, I mean, look, there's plenty of opportunity here. So I, I want to see some of these young guys step up and play, like you know, their long-term answers. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, if if you go over to the secondary, uh, the Brown secondary starts and ends with Joe Hayden. Um, you know. Losing to Sean Gibson and Dante Whitner certainly hurt uh, Joe Hayden coming off of an ankle injury that he's been rehabbing well into the offseason. By all accounts, he's out of the boot and, and is training. But you know his status is still up in the air as to whether he'll be 100% for that, for that start of the game. So a, a big question mark in Joe Hayden. Chris, you and I were talking uh, off the podcast. There was a time when, when Joe Hayden was one of the best in the league, and, and that was just two seasons ago when we were talking about that um do you think Hayden can reclaim that form and be one of the the best corners in the league again well I don't know I certainly hope he can Uh, there's no reason to think he can't at this point uh because I'm not trying to underplay his injuries but I'm going to give him a chance to come back from them before I I say write him off so I certainly hope he can um right now I mean with so many other question marks surrounding the secondary uh he he quite frankly better uh, for the Browns sake because if he doesn't I think that this secondary is going to struggle a lot I think there's going to be some struggles regardless of how good Joe Hayden is because you know they lost a lot from last year but uh they definitely need Joe Hayden to be as close to 100 percent as possible and getting back to that sort of top 10 form that he was just two seasons ago um, so, yes, I, I think the Browns definitely need him to be close to 100%, and I'm optimistic that he can regain that form and shake the injury, but time will tell. I have no idea how the injuries are going to affect him uh, long term. Yeah, you're right. There's no way of really telling what he's going to be like, especially you know, you and I making that prediction. Um, but you're also completely right in that if Joe Hayden is not able to regain form uh, the Brown secondary unit is in is in a dire place because they lost talent and leadership, and it was really the only unit that wasn't addressed with the mass amount of draft picks that they had. Uh, they took Derek Kendred, uh, strong safety, in I think the fourth round. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you know, nobody is really 
slated to, to, to produce it from, from, from a youth movement, uh, in the secondary. So if Joe Hayden's not there, the dominoes start falling and you're going to have to start relying on guys like, you know, Justin Gilbert, who was, is your fifth cornerback still, even though he was taken in the top 10 just two years ago. Um, you know, Pierre Dicer and Quan Williams showed signs in 2014, took huge steps back in 2015. Hopefully they can step forward, but without Joe Hayden leading the unit, uh, all bets are off with this secondary. And then, uh, the dominoes continue to fall into the front seven if the secondary truly will be that bad. Let's also look at Justin Gilbert as an X factor. He was drafted with a top 10 pick in 2014, and let's just say uh, he has not lived up to expectations, uh, to say the least. If he can capture some of that talent that the Browns saw in him on draft day, that would really be a bonus to this unit. Um, I- I'm not going to sit here and proclaim that but it would be nice if he could step up and really uh take the you know take that path in his development you know what i mean and and hopefully year three is the charm you know buster screen was a guy his first two years with the brown was just a walking flag machine year three the light went on and then he signs a big free agent contract with the jets but the point is this is year three three for justin gilbert maybe just maybe the light bulb will go on and he'll show that. So he does have the high ceiling. He just has not been able to get his head in the right place to, you know, fill that gap from floor to ceiling yet. And so hopefully he can start reaching that potential. And if that happens, that certainly will be a big boost to this unit. Yeah. There are ifs uh, in every single position in facet of the Browns, a whole lot of ifs, um, most likely a lot of those are going to be failures, but some of them are successes. I hope Justin Gilbert is one of the successes because they invested so much in him, but uh, just a lot of you know unknowns on this roster, and that's just not a good sign heading into the, the football season. So what happens when you draft number two overall last year? I know they traded <laughs> out of it, but they had the number two pick. They were the, tied for the worst record. Um, yeah, there's going to be growing pains. So, But there's hope right now what what I'm looking for out of training camp in preseason is that these rookies make an impression that it's not just the same names earning roster spots because nobody's challenging them I want young blood to come in here on a variety of fronts and stick and make impressions and not just be on this team I want them to play like blue chip players and if that happens Yes, this season's going to be rough no matter what, but at least there will be some faint hope semblance of football returning to Cleveland here in 2016 because for the last eight seasons, it has really been unwatchable. Yeah. Yeah, definitely say that again. All right, well, we we talked a lot of Cleveland Browns training camp, uh, a whole lot, but we still have uh, a couple topics to t- touch upon uh, in the other sports and let's go to the current, the only sport that is currently playing games, and that's the Cleveland Indians. Um, trade deadline is a week closer, or less than a week away, actually, at this point. Um, big news coming this afternoon with the Aroldis Chapman trade, heading to the Chicago Cubs for a couple top prospects and a, and a couple other uh, key additions uh, going going over to the Yankees now, uh, or headed to, to the Yankees. Um, 
So that's one option off the table for the tribe. They were rumored to be at least talking to New York, hoping to get the Aroldis Chapman deal done. Um, another report coming out uh, with, with Jonathan LaCroix uh, coming to Cleveland, and it, it, that report was naming names in Juan Hillman and pitcher Mike Clevenger uh, going from Cleveland to, to Milwaukee for Jonathan LaCroix and Will Smith. Um, Chris, are, are you happy that the tribe didn't give up what – a lot of people are calling a ransom uh, in order to get Aroldis Chapman. And then what are your thoughts on that deal? Chicago can have Chapman. They gave up a lot to get a rent-a-closer, a guy who's only under contract through the end of this year, and quite frankly had some issues off the field that prevented him from playing for most of the, the first half. Um, so, and I understand you only need him for two months, Chicago, you're going all in, but Man, they gave up their number one prospect, a significant second prospect, and two other guys in the minors for a reliever. And quite frankly, if you're the Cleveland Indians, I know I know some fans just, for whatever reason, are, you know, meh on Cody Allen. Cody Allen's one of the better closers in all of baseball. I don't think the Indians needed to pay a murderer's ransom to get this kind of a reliever. They just need a an arm out of the bullpen that they can rely on. They don't necessarily need a elite type closer guy. Going back to the Jonathan Lucroy Will Smith question you asked, I love that trade. I, I love that trade. If that's if that offers on the table, it should be a done deal right now. Um, now I know this is just a report, but there's some more legitimacy to this because they're naming names. There's there a couple of uh, reliable sources reporting this. Um, to me, if I'm the Indians, if that's what they're offering, done. I mean, I, I wouldn't have hesitated. You know, Jonathan LeCroix obviously injects instant electricity in this lineup. Very good bat to have in the middle and plays a position of need catcher. Will Smith, solid reliever out of the pen, helps address both needs with one swing. And all you're really giving up is Mike Clevenger. No knock on Hillman, but Clevenger, I believe, is the prize in this deal. So I like Clevenger long term, but if he's all you have to really give up to get these two guys I, I do the deal. Yeah, I, I would pull the trigger on that deal instantly. Um, you're you're basically swapping two potentials for two current players. I I, lo- I love that, especially for a team like the Indians that are should be all in in this season. Um, I'm not sure if Mike Clevenger is the prize or Juan Hillman's the prize. You know, Juan Hillman was the second uh, round pick uh, of last year's draft for for the Indians. So. Uh, I think he is valued pretty highly, but yeah, Clevenger is certainly more big league ready than, than Juan Hillman, but I, I would pull that deal right now if that's the one that's on the table that the Brewers are, are asking for, because Jonathan LaCroix uh, not only upgrades the catching position, but you know with with Michael Brantley suffering that setback, uh, probably I don't think we're going to see Brantley this year. Uh, you know, shores up the offense just in general, and even if. You know, Gums does return. You can use him defensively, and now you have Lacroix as an option at first base or, or designated hitter. I, I would pull that trigger immediately if this is the deal on the table. Yeah, certainly Hillman has more long-term potential, but Clevenger, man, I mean, if if the Brewers traded for Clevenger, he could pitch out the rest of the year in their rotation, arguably. I mean, this guy is big league ready. He's just a step away from the majors. But the reason I trade him is because. You also got TJ House down in the minors. You've got you've got other guys down in the minors that it'll are fighting for a five man rotation that's pretty rock solid if you're the Cleveland Indians. So they've got some arms to spare. Um 
I would do this deal if it's on the table. I'm skeptical that it is because other guys are... I'm not saying the reports were wrong. What I'm saying is I think since the reports have come out, other teams may ha- are in the running for Lucroy, and I, I find it hard to believe the Indians getting Lucroy and another pro-ready guy without parting ways with a guy like Bradley Zimmer or Clint Frazier. I think they will have to up the ante and give one of those two up if they want to get Jonathan Lucroy, just based on what I've been reading about what other teams might be involved. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that the price is certainly going up uh, for LaCroix as the days pass. But, man, if that deal was on the table at any point, I think the the Tribe would be kind of foolish not to uh, to have pulled that trigger. But um, we will certainly see and, and, and monitor that, and, and we'll have some definitive deals to discuss uh, on next week's podcast. Oh, certainly. And, and I agree with you. If that deal was on the table, uh, it should have been done. I, I doubt that it was because I, I just don't see the Indians passing on it. What I feel like probably happened is that the Indians pitched that, Milwaukee's considered it, and has used it to maybe up the ante with some of the other teams involved. But I, I, I just, if this deal was on the table and it wasn't pulled, uh, shame on the Indians. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, well, again, let's change topics again and pivot uh Cavs summer league is over lebron jr smith still no word from then them uh an- another week goes by i nervous about either of those deals no not lebron I, every week that jr smith isn't signed i get a little worried um but i think at the end of the day dan gilbert and the cleveland front office will pony up yeah i i think so i think it's just only a matter of time um all right and then the summer league i mean you know this isn't really a team that has a lot of space for young guys it's a team of veterans but Jordan McRae and Kay Felder did impress uh, particularly McRae uh, 24.3 points per game in Las Vegas um, a lot of good highlights uh, what what are you taking from their performances a couple of years ago the Cleveland Cavaliers had a shining young prospect average 13.3 points and 7.8 rebounds in the summer league had a game where he had 13 and 4, scored double digits every time, strong summer league outing. That person's name was Anthony Bennett. That was 2014. Tip of the cap to Kay Fielder, tip of the cap to McRae, but let's rein it in just a little bit. I'm not saying that they can't be solid additions to this team. I'm not saying that they don't have potential. All I'm saying here is, Let's take the summer league numbers with a little bit of a grain of salt and remember what kind of competition they're playing against. Um, I do think both of them have the potential to contribute to this team in the long term. I I would want to see them on this roster because I think they can help. But let's also remember that Anthony Bennett once looked like a shining star in summer league, and we've seen how that has turned out. Yeah, definitely. I I don't think... It's never a bad thing to, to perform on the summer league, but I don't think it, it spells much in, in terms of success. Um, I will say, you know, the last game of the season against Detroit, Jordan McRae did score 36 points. Uh, and in the summer league, he, he scored 36 against LA, 32 against Boston. Uh, with Della Vadova gone, there isn't uh, a guy that can be, that can there isn't another combo guard uh, on the roster that can shuffle between the one and the two like Della Vadova could. So maybe he can step in in that role. 
And then Felder, you just got to kind of wait and see whether he can actually, you know, perform against actual NBA talent before we can make any kind of determination. I want both of them to stick on the roster because I think they can help. But I just think that uh, anyone who's uh, raising their expectation levels based on the summer league needs to reel it in just a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And then uh, last piece of Cleveland Cavs news, uh, Sasha Khan will retire an NBA champion one season averaging 0.9 points and one rebound a game, but he uh, ends his rookie season as a 31-year-old champion. Uh, one of the few guys to have a collegiate championship, a NBA championship, and an Olympic medal because he got the bronze uh, with Russia in 2012. Now that is a good trivia question one day. Here's a thought. This guy's going to get a championship ring, and deservedly so. I mean, if he's getting a ring, Anderson Varejo definitely deserves a ring. Give the man a ring. I mean, come on, man. I, I know he said he would decline it, but come on, man. I mean, the guy, Varejo at least played more in the first half, contributed a little bit more during the season. I think we get too caught up in this who was on the te- team in the finals, and we forget that it's a long journey there. So I definitely think Anderson Varejo deserves a ring not to change the subject here but yeah Sasha Khan I mean look he 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 made it in the NBA he he gets a championship ring but at the end of the day I mean you know his career was what it was yeah retiring due to a chronic right ankle injury that caused him a lot of discomfort uh, on a daily basis um very lucky man though uh, with all those titles <laughs> for for the very short career playing career now first off he, he contributed on that kansas title though oh yeah for sure he was a starter for sure he, he was a pretty big beast on that kansas team yeah and we will have to just wait and see what whether a decision is ever made with anderson Verjao. Um we still aren't sure whether they are even going to offer him that ring or not but we'll just have to see on that give the man a ring come on dan gilbert you paid a 50 million dollar luxury tax bill you can't make one more ring come on yeah I, I agree with you. I, I think he does deserve a ring. But. All right, yo, your boy, good news for your boy Peyton Manning, switching it up to some quick hits here. The NFL has come out and said that there is no clear and convincing evidence that he did HGH. Bob, does this revelation surprise you in any way? No, not at all, though. I, I do believe that if something was overtly apparent, they would have to make a determination. I don't think the NFL is that dumb. But, you know, they have done some, they continue to do terribly stupid things uh, thinking that they won't get caught. So we will have to see. I'm sure it's not the last we're going to hear of HGH performance enhancing rumors with Peyton Manning. And I would like to clarify, um, yes, there was a time in my life where Peyton Manning was my boy. Um, In light of everything that has come out about him or has been made more public about him in the last year, uh, please don't refer to him as my boy anymore. Oh, man. This is a big moment, Bob. This is a big moment. <laughs> uh, I, I feel I like I've kind moment. of, I, I feel like I have. You've, de- you've been... def- ever since he went to Denver, you've definitely waned it down. I think you were much bigger Peyton Manning fan when he was with Indianapolis. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely true. And it had nothing to do with him going to Denver. It's just different time in my life, and then, uh, you know, it, it was probably him kissing Papa John that was just like, oh man. <laughs> No, there's some. There are a lot more serious things that he I, did. I, that, I know, I know. But that that was weird too. The whole his whole Super Bowl celebration was weird, and we could do a whole podcast on it. The 
drink some Budweiser, kissing Papa John's. Yeah, well, just compare compare his celebration to what happened when LeBron won, uh, you know, last month. Uh, there was no mention of Nike or you know his agent or, or anything. It was just pure joy. And you, you know, the first time I saw him wearing Nike gear was at, during the championship parade. So uh, yeah, just that whole thing with him endorsing everybody was so weird. Here's my thing with this. I mean, it's the NFL saying this. I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, they they're not. To me, I, this this doesn't. This is. Like saying water's wet. I mean, I, I didn't <laughs> expect the NFL to come out and slam one of their biggest stars. I mean, why would they ever attack one of their biggest? Oh wait, hold on, they did it with Tom Brady. Never mind. Um, no, the point is, the point I'm making here is, um, look, the NFL, like most sports leagues, isn't going to do something to hurt its brand unless it absolutely has to. I'm skeptical of it, and so uh, this to me doesn't do anything. I don't think we're ever going to really know what happened. I mean, to me, the red alert meter is still up. I mean, there's a report out there saying he had HGH delivered to his house. I'm just going to call, you know what, that it probably wasn't for his wife. I have no idea what the facts are. I'm not trying to speculate here. But for the NFL to come out and say that he didn't do it, I mean, come on. The guy retired. They are under really no obligation to investigate him. There's no reason for them to drag him through the mud. I, it just doesn't carry any weight with me. Yeah, for sure. I I, I agree with you completely on that one. Um, so. All right, we got one more news. Uh, our first, probably our first, maybe our second mention of Ohio State football on the Clee Talk podcast, but it'll certainly become a, a major point of discussion as we head into the football season. But uh, allegations that Ezekiel Elliott was involved in, in a domestic violence dispute with, uh, well, even the relationship with the woman accusing him is is kind of murky. But she says he was his living girlfriend. He says they never really dated. Um, a lot still coming out about it. But Chris, what what are your just general thoughts on that? My general thoughts are: I hope it's not true, just because domestic violence is a very serious issue, and I don't want anyone to be put in that situation. Um, it's not just because I'm an Ohio State fan and uh, I cheered for Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott while he was with the Buckeyes. It's because, I mean, if these allegations are too true, then that means somebody was really hurt here seriously in harm's way in their own home, and that's just something that's quite frankly unacceptable. I'm not going to condemn someone when all the facts are still coming out, so hopefully this is not as serious as it sounds. Hopefully nothing happened because... You know, you don't want any harm to come to anyone, but the fact that that his name is brought up with this, it, it definitely is concerning, and you can only hope that, you know, nothing truly nothing happened. I'm not I'm not advocating for any sort of you know, brushing this under the the rug or anything. I just truly hope nobody was hurt, and that this is isn't as serious as it sounds. But we're going to have to wait and see, um, for for more evidence to come to light because right now all we have are you know just just uh, details are coming out so we're just going to have to wait and see how this all plays out yeah definitely and and like you said uh, i hope he isn't instantly condemned i also hope the victim is also not instantly condemned and even though there are some confusions about exactly what happened and how this came to light and, and as of right now we don't know a whole lot i just hope that just because we're talking about ezekiel elliott you know 
number four draft pick by the Dallas Cowboys, uh, that this woman is afforded the same due process that, that she should be afforded for, for whether the allegation was against anybody. So I hope, I hope you're right that it's just a, a something not as serious, but I, I do hope that every side gets investigated, uh, fully and, uh, in the right way. Absolutely right. You want a fair process. You want the, the story to come out and you want that if something happened to be appropriately dealt with. Um, but deep down, I just hope that this is a misunderstanding because I don't want someone to have, you know, faced domestic violence. I, I, I just, it's an awful crime. And so I, I just don't want it to have been committed. That's what I'm trying to say is that, uh, you know, I just hope that nothing bad happened, but we'll have to wait and see. Certainly not a good sign for Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott to be um, even mentioned in this. It's just not a good place to be overall. Um, One last thing we forgot to touch upon. Our boy, Dion Waiters. I say that with a little sarcasm. (laughs) One year, $2.9 million with the Heat. Bob, you think he's regretting not signing that $6.8 million tender offer the Thunder left on the table for 11 days for him to sign and then rescinded on July 18th? Maybe a little bit. I have a hard time to believe that the only offer Dion Waiters had in unrestricted free agency, even with most teams doing their spending already, was a mid-level expe- exception that that the which was the deal that he accepted with the Heat. Um, you know, he's six four. He he's young. He showed in Oklahoma City that he actually could uh, contribute in, in some way and play within himself. He shot a career high in three point percentage. He actually played some defense. Uh, he's worth a lot more than $2.9 million. And in this market, he's, he was probably worth more than the $6 million uh, qualifying offer. Um, so maybe he is just intrigued by going to Miami, or maybe he's just playing for next year and getting a longer-term deal. But, yeah, you you always wonder, especially with a guy as volatile as Deion Waiters, if they're going to regret not taking that deal. Yeah, it is curious that he only got $2.9 million for one year in this kind of balling out of control free agency year. Um, but you're right. I mean, you do got to consider the fact that he'd be playing for a Miami organization that is very well run. He will have a chance to play now that Dwayne Wade isn't there. So certainly, um, you know, you go from 1D Wade to 1D Wait. So, you know, you don't have to change that slogan yeah. that much. So and I, I, I will- that was part of the logic, too. Yeah, and I will say that qualifying offer was uh, one trigger that Deion Waiters, surprising, did not pull. <laughs> you're talking about shooting all the open shots. Yes. I see what you're going there. I see what you're going there. Well played, Bob. Well played. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But, all right, yo, man. We have loaded up this podcast, so hopefully you made it all the way to the end. Uh, and if you did, you got a lot of stuff thrown at you so hopefully you enjoyed it all uh please come back to fenleyroadsports.com for more content you can subscribe to our podcast through itunes just search fenley road sports you can follow us on twitter or instagram by searching fenley road sports and as always please come back next week for another episode of Clee talk we'll have more cleveland sports talk for you every week just as as we always do but for now go try all right i'll see you chris go try take it easy bob